2018 was a good, good year. I hope you guys had a great year as I did. Uh, I'm a little under the weather right now, so you may <clears throat> hear that in my voice. Uh, but I want to say this from the get-go. Next week, we start a brand new sermon series that will be going throughout January. And it's called Confessions of a Church Pastor. And we're going to be kicking down the pedestal that people put pastors on, spiritual leaders. And uh, we're going to be getting real and vulnerable. And it's just going to be a fun creative series that will take us all the way to February. So we want to encourage you guys to come back next week uh, and don't miss a Sunday on it. <clears throat> Here we go. This will be on the screens. Twas the week after Christmas and all through the house, nothing would fit me, not even a blouse. <laughs> the cookies I'd nibbled, the fudge I did taste, all the holiday parties had gone to my waist. When I got on the scales, there arose such a number. When I looked to the store, less walk than a lumber. The pies and the cakes, the bread and the cheese, and the way I never said, no thank you, please. <laughs> so away with the last of the sour cream dip, get rid of the fruitcake, every cracker and chip. Every last bit of food that I like must be banished till all the additional ounces have vanished. I won't have hot biscuits or cornbread or pie. I'll munch on a carrot and quietly cry. <laughs> I'm hungry, I'm lonesome, and life is a bore, but isn't that what January is for? Unable to giggle, no longer a riot, happy new year to all, and to all a good diet. Uh, amen, right? Amen. That is true. That is true. What are your new year's resolutions? Studies have shown that over half of them are finished by the end of January. We start with great intentions and we fail miserably. Over 90% are done by the end of the year. Only 10% of New Year's resolutions actually last for an entire year. Would 2019 be different for us? Here's some of my New Year's resolutions. Um, I wanna work out more. Uh, my, this is just like this. Uh, my friend Trevor's here and he's the kind of guy at the gym who has like no sleeves and you know his muscle showing. He's that guy, tank top guy. I wanna be more like him. Uh, second, I want to stop buying uh, useless items like the daddle, uh, which is like a dad saddle. Uh, three, I'd like to procrastinate less. I came up with that one as I was walking on the stage this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at some resolutions and simply asking the honest questions. Uh, how are we better people than we were a year ago? And how can we become better people one year from now? And we're going to look at a few passages of scripture and get some practical applications for ways in which we can do a better job of loving God and loving people in 2019. Now, all of these uh, applications begin with an R. I don't normally do this or use acronyms very much in my sermons, but it worked this week, so perhaps it will help us remember. It'll be in your notes as well. So the first word in your notes is this, recalibrate. Recalibrate. I felt like this word worked for point number one. But I first had to find out what it meant. And it says, this is to recalibrate, to again plan or devise carefully so as to, uh, to have a precise use application appeal. To recalibrate is to carefully and precisely implement something. That's what recalibrate means. Uh, the call for us this morning is to recalibrate by once again center, centering ourselves and our lives uh, on the person of Jesus. Hebrews 12 says this, it'll be on the screens. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, 
Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, keeping our eyes on him, it, it takes work. Uh, in the year 2000, I was 19 years old, and I lived in Malawi, Africa for six months. And uh, as I was there, I was like, I need to take some good pictures. And so how many of you guys remember these kind of cameras? Okay. Right? Just wind it, shoot it, and you're good. I had three of these when I was in Malawi, and the pictures turned out amazing because the scenery was amazing. Uh, but you just point, shoot, no focus, there's no twisting of any knobs or anything, uh, but it took just fine pictures. The new cameras are a little bit different, and they grasp so much more light and so much more beauty, but they have to be focused, right? You have to actually, you never see a professional photographer putting it on autofocus. It's always twisting it this way, twisting it that way, waiting for the perfect shot. It takes effort. It takes discipline. It takes practice. This is the way of Jesus. Um, it should be our image for the new year. That our lives will be oriented around Jesus. And there's no autofocus. It doesn't just happen if you come on Sundays. It is something where we have to intentionally focus in our lives around the God of the universe. And it will permeate our relationships, our work ethics, our finances. Every aspect of our lives is surrendered to him. We just sang that, right? All I am is yours. My soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. It doesn't just happen. Discipleship takes work. It takes focus. There's no shortcuts in focusing in on Jesus. It's a decision of the will. Uh, and during the summer, I wear flip-flops all the time. All the time. Except if I work out, which is rarely. Again, 2019 is different. But I, I always wear flip-flops. And sometimes, uh, you know, the, we get the kids to bed, and it's late, and I, I just don't feel like taking a shower. And so, uh, but I, I know I'm going to be laying next to my wife, and I know that my feet smell bad, right? Because you wear flip-flops all day, it's summer. And so I try to take a shortcut. I go, I'm not going to take a shower. So I just kind of roll up my pants like Huck Finn, and then I go into the shower, turn on just, just the bath, and I get a bottle of... Uh, you know, shower gel, squirt it on my feet, and then I kind of do this, okay? But I'm not really getting the bottom very well. And so after dumping about a half bottle of shower gel on my foot, I think it's a good idea to stand on one foot and try and wash the bottom of my other foot. But when you have a lot of shower gel on this foot, I, it was like I was ice skating, you know? And then I fell in the shower. Fell in the shower, water's on me. I walk out, and Sarah's like, what happened? And I'm in clothes. Soaking wet, 38 years old, falling in the shower. There's no shortcut. I probably should have just taken a shower uh, instead of just washing my feet. The same is true for us centering our lives on Jesus. There are no shortcuts. There's no autofocus. Simply going to church will not center your life around Jesus. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. It's a decision of the will. I... Uh, as a pastor, I've had the honor and the privilege to be a part of countless wedding ceremonies. And it's one of the, my favorite parts of my job. Uh, but there are three aspects uh, to a human decision to become married, to pledge their life 
and love to another person. The first aspect is the decision of the emotion. This will be on the screens. That, that's how we feel about the other person. If the emotion was the only thing to think about, we would have all been married in the first month of dating, right? Because the, uh, she touches your hand, fireworks are going off, like you talk all night long, and you're like, no, you hang up, no, you hang up, let's hang up together, one, two, three. You didn't hang up, right? It's this long conversation, and you would get, if it was just the emotions, you would be married. The second aspect of the decision is the decision of the intellect. This is the one that says, whoa, buddy, hold your horses. Do you know enough about her to get married? Do you have enough money for the ring? Do you have enough money to provide and support both of you? Do you and her make sense? Are you heading in the right direction together? It's the decision of the intellect, the mind. The final, the most important aspect is the decision of the will. This is the one that stops most people from walking down the aisle. This is the one that says, am I willing to sacrifice all others and pledge my life, love, and fidelity to one person till death do us part? And it's the decision of their inner being with the deepest parts of who they are. Many of us in this room have made decisions to follow God, maybe out of emotion. You were at a rally. You were at a revival. You were at a camp. And that led you to that promise. Maybe some of us have made the decision to follow God out of our intellect. We read the Bible. We read other religious uh, books. And the Bible made sense. It, 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 it actually logically led you to begin to follow Jesus. But the final most important decision of all, the one that means the most to Jesus, is the, and the one that ties us to him forever, is the decision of the will from the deepest parts of who we are. Not based just on intellect, not based just on emotion. Both are important things. But the decision from the deepest parts of who you are, I'm going to follow Jesus. Uh, to center ourselves on Christ, it takes the decision from the deepest parts of who we are. Recalibrate yourself this year. Commit to Jesus. Number two, reprioritize. The things that mean more, they should go up on your priority list. The things that mean less should go down on your priority now, this is basic, but we all need to hear it, right? Uh, our weekly priorities don't often reflect the true desires of our hearts. Philippians 3 says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Surpassing worth, infinite value. The word for worthless here is not just zero. It, it's, it's, it's a negation. It's, it's less than zero. It's a negative. The, 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 the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus is so beautiful and so bigger than anything and everything else that actually the, all those things count as a negative. They're less than nothing. Picture it like this. You're in a dark room. Picture all the lights off here. No lights, lights or anything. And you turn on your phone and that screen almost lights up the whole room, right? Because in total darkness, that light will shine extremely brightly. But you take that same phone. You ever been out? Outside in the summer when the sun's shining bright, 
And then you go and check your phone, you push the button, and you can't even tell if it's on or not. It's so bright around you, even though the screen's on full blast, you try and look at it, I, I can't even tell my screen's on. It pales in comparison to the sun. It loses all of its shininess because of the surpassing brightness of the sun. So also, if a mind does not have the light of Christ, a lot of things will look bright. Uh, they're shiny, they're attractive. So we look at people who have things and we're like, ooh, that's shiny. That car, that salary. But when you step into the sun, the shiniest things of this world fades. When you step into the light of Jesus Christ, the things of earth lose their impressiveness. It's not as impressive compared to the surpassing knowledge, Paul says, of knowing Jesus. He says, less than nothing. He says, I consider them garbage. The Greek word here is the word skubalon. Uh, skubalon, I consider them garbage. You know what skubalon means in Greek? Literally, it means poop. Dumb. Poopus. Poop emoji. That's what skubalon means. He says, I, I count everything as lost, as garbage, as poopus. Poop emoji. That's, it's compared to the knowledge of knowing Jesus. It's just not as shiny. When you see him, in comparison to what we have in Jesus, there's just not a shiny. Jesus should be our first priority. The second should be the people that God has placed in your life. That should be number two. That should be number two. That goes above the job. That goes above the boys. That goes above uh, ministry. I've seen so many pastors equate ministry with God. And so they put ministry above their family and the very people they're called to minister to the most suffer because you put them below uh, your loved ones, the people that God's placed in your life. Ministry comes third. It goes God, others, then all the stuff we can do for God. Uh, now I don't spend I don't spend all my time doing church stuff. I'm, 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 I'm not a great pastor in a lot of areas. Administratively, not my forte, trying to hire people to take care of all that for me. Uh, there's a lot of areas where I'm not great at pastor. Here's one area that I don't struggle in, keeping my family above the church. Uh, and you can ask Dex and you can ask Ivy, she's one and a half, but she'll probably just say, Dad, but uh, and you can ask my wife. Uh, some of you guys might think, well, I'm not home a whole lot, but the time I do spend with my family, it's quality time. Let me tell you what your kids think of that. They don't know the difference. Uh, you don't spell love, L-O-V-E. You spell love, T-I-M-E. I've said that before, I'll say it again. Does your schedule reflect those you love the most? Love is spelled T-I-M-E. So spend time with those the Lord has placed in your life, your spouse, your relatives, your friends, new relationships, those nearest to you. Right now, whoever that person is coming to your mind, maybe that's the spirit of God telling you, I need to reinvest in 2019 in this relationship. I've let it slide, and God's calling me to, to rekindle that friendship. So you can repress that voice, or you can pull out your phone and put it on your to-do list. Reach out to Brandon, Michael, T-Dog, Whatever. Number three, recognize reality. 
recognize reality. Simon Cowell does this better than anybody. He gives us the gift of reality. You think you can sing? You sing in front of him? He'll, he'll tell you the truth. Um, recognize reality. Simon Cowell gives us that gift. So does the Bible. The book of Ecclesiastes does this, I think, better than any other book in the Bible. Ecclesiastes falls into the Jewish um, Tanakh as the wisdom literature in the writings. And wisdom literature, we see a lot in Proverbs. And that basically, wisdom literature will say, if you do this, this will happen. If you don't do this, this, this will happen. And there's so much of that in Proverbs. Ecclesiastes is a little bit different. So it's almost unfair to put them together, even though they're authored by the same man. Uh, Ecclesiastes is for everybody who did the right thing. You played by the rules. You were moral and upright. You gave it your best shot, and you still got screwed. That's what Ecclesiastes is about. You do all the right things, and things still don't work out in the end. And chapter 3 tells us this. You'll recognize this from a great 1960s song by the birds. It says this in chapter 3, 1 through 8. There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What profit is it there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. This is not a document or a passage of scripture where it's, uh, there's a time you should do this and there's a time you should do that. No, actually what the text is saying is that there is a time for everything. It's going to happen. In the first couplet gives us the key to unlocking this. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And whatever follows next happens in life. It's not saying that there's a time that we should go to war and a time for us to bring peace. It's saying that that's going to happen in your lifetime. It's not going to say there's a time when we should mourn and there's a time we should laugh. It's saying you're going to experience both. It gives us reality. All of these things will happen if you are born. All of these things will happen before you die. So some of you, even this morning as I was just hanging out before church. I talked to two people in our church who were going through some, some stuff. And, and one of the, the, the people I was talking with, I said, hey, in the sermon, spoiler, let me tell you a little bit what I'm gonna say. That if things are going bad in your life, just hold on, because they will turn around. That's what life does. And if things are going great, and everything's hunky-dory, as my mom used to say, Everything's hunky-dory. Sit tight, because it's going to turn. That happens in life, right? We need to recognize and embrace this kind of reality. This is life. 
the sooner we get honest about the unjust suffering in our own lives and the unjust suffering in our world, the sooner we can be a part of God's mission in alleviating it and helping others. Look at verse 11. This is such an interesting verse. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This word for eternity here is the word Hebrew word ha-olam. Ha-olam. Something happens to time when you're waiting in the doctor's waiting room, awaiting some important tests. Yes? It takes forever. You feel like you've been there for hours. Even if it's minutes, even if it's moments, it can seem like eternity. It slows down. What's the phrase you say when you get somewhere fast? Well, we were here in no time. Time flew by. Yes, that's what, that's what the text is saying here. Something happens to time when you're driving through the cornfields and the wheat fields of Nebraska. Something also happens to time when you're on your honeymoon for a week in Hawaii. One goes by slow, one goes by fast. The heart doesn't age. A baby loves his mother, and that love is no greater and no less than the love that the grandmother has for the baby. The heart doesn't age. God puts eternity in our hearts. Ha olam, eternity is inside of us. Unspeakable love and joy. And one of the roles of the Christ followers is to live and manifest this love and joy that's not affected by time. It's our call. How can you bring ha-olam, eternity in your heart, to your place of business, to your family, to your city? The heart doesn't age, the body does, but the lev, the, the, the lev is the Hebrew word for our inner being, our inmost parts should be renewed day by day. Number four, risk more. Risk more. Tony Campolo, interviewed 100 people over the age of 80 and asked what you would do differently. Here are the, th the three things. Number one, they said spend more time with family. Number two, do more things that would live on after they died. And number three, risk more. Isn't that amazing? That's a lot of wisdom. Asking 100 people over the age of 80, it's a lot of wisdom. Um, Matthew 28 says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure this, this is, this is like the forgotten part of the Great Commission, right? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You cannot discover new oceans unless you have courage to leave sight of the shore. That, that shoreline is our comfort. It's there. It's our safety net. And God says, let's set sail. Let's discover something new. And I, I, I believe that for you and your family this year. And I believe that for this church. Our call is to go, to take some risks. What risks is God calling you towards in 2019? I'll skip to the last one. Seminary professor once told his students, some people tiptoe through life just to arrive at death's door safely. Then he says, students, run, dance, jump, or skip in this life. 
Just don't tiptoe. I don't want us to be a tiptoeing church. I want us to take some risks. I don't want to be a tiptoeing Christian. Always having the safety net of the shore next to us. I want us to set sail and discover the beautiful, wild ocean out there and make a difference for God's kingdom. Lastly, resolve. Resolve. Daniel 1.8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine. He decided in advance, Daniel did. So when the temptation arose, the decision was already made. We can decide now. If, if you've got some crucial things coming up in this new year, you can decide now how you want to live. And your decisions are already made when those things present themselves. I'll invite the worship band up and I'll close with this. A man once bought one of Whistler's paintings and he asked Whistler himself, could you help me find a place for it in my house? He said, sure. And so he, 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 he brought this famous painter into his home and he hung the painting and uh, they said, oh yeah, that, 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 that's okay. And he says, no. And so then he goes to another place, gets it puts behind the couch. He says, does, does this look good? And he says, I don't know. Goes to another third wall in the living room, and he tries to put it there. And Whistler says, listen, you're going about it all the wrong way. First, remove all the furniture from your house. Hang the painting. Then rearrange all your paintings, all your furniture around the painting. And he did. Changed everything. Jesus isn't just one part of our lives that we, we hang up on the walls of our lives and we get just on Sunday mornings, maybe occasionally we pray throughout the week. No, Jesus reorders everything. He redecorates and it's better. It's more life-giving. It creates more love and beauty and goodness in our world. That's the heart of God for this church, this new year, and for you and your lives. Let's pray, God. We're so thankful for that you're a better life interior decorator than we are. And that when you move in, Jesus, you just don't want to repair, you want to restore. You want to make it better. So do that in our lives, Jesus. We thank you for the reckless love that we've experienced here as a prodigal church, but also in the lives of so many. Pray, God, that this new year will be marked by love. Jesus, you tell us that you shall know my disciples by their love. Let it be true for us, God. Let us love you first and foremost. And then because of your great love, may we be known by our love for others, those closest to us, those around us, even our enemies. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we declare the reckless love? Thank you.